You're listening to the Flyerdelphia Podcast, part of SportstalkPhilly.com and 97.3 ESPN. Flyers fans, and welcome to another edition of the Flyerdelphia podcast, part of sportstalkphilly.com and 97.3 ESPN. I'm your host, Kevin Durso, joined by Jeff Quake. Today, we will put a wrap on the offseason, at least the portion that we can discuss following free agency, at least the first couple days of it anyway. And yes, there are still a little more than two months left before training camps begin and the preseason arrives, but the bulk of the offseason work is essentially over and the teams are really now starting to take shape. Monday was a relatively quiet day for the Flyers. I say relatively because the Flyers did make eight signings, which may actually be more than most teams did on Monday, but nothing of real major significance. These were mainly depth players to fill out the AHL roster and be potential NHL fill-ins if injuries should arise. So if nothing really noteworthy happened on Monday, what do we have to talk about this week? Well, we're going to look at where the Flyers stand after the opening of free agency. So we'll look at some of the moves from other teams, particularly in the Metropolitan Division and the Eastern Conference, and really just put a wrap on things before we take a break for the next few months until we get to September. So there's a there's a really lengthy list of players here, and it, it goes beyond eight players that got two-way contracts or one-way contracts. Um, there, was, there were minor league deals being made, more of them coming out on day two of free agency on Tuesday. Kind of interesting because the Phantoms are going to have a completely different looking team, just about anyway. Um, but a lot, it was a decent amount of activity, but not the again, not the activity that a lot of people were looking for. I think people thought there might have been a little bit of cap space to squeeze something out to help the current roster. And we talked about a few targets last week and trying to keep it realistic and trying to be mindful of the fact that there was probably not room to make some major splash here. And it just seems like there's a lot of people that still were desiring something, knowing that there's three three under, or three restricted free agents, I should say, that, that are still out there waiting to be signed. And you don't have a ton of cap space left. You've got sig- a significant amount on paper, but realistically, you know that two of these players are going to make a, a big chunk of money. And we talked about those deals as well last week. So... Uh, so Jeff, why don't I just pitch it over to you to start with, and we'll just you know run down these players for us a little bit and give us kind of an idea here as to you know these depth players and and some things like that. So we can kind of knock that out before we get into the heart of the heart of the matter here, which is looking at the current NHL team and where this team goes and some of the other signings as well. On a crazy first day of free agency, yeah, absolutely, Kevin. And uh, like you said, all these moves they're basically depth moves for. Uh, for the Flyers signings and a majority of them, if not all of them will be in the Lehigh, with the uh, Lehigh Valley Phantoms in the AHL. The only two players that really stick out to me that could actually be in the NHL at some point, uh, either due to injury or just, you know, a call up just because uh, Andy Andreoff and the other was Cal O'Reilly. Uh, Andreoff, he spent the last few years, with the LA Kings, didn't put up a whole lot of points, uh, played a decent amount of games, but he's really the only one that sticks out besides, like I said, uh, Cal O'Reilly. O'Reilly was the captain of uh, the, Iowa, the Iowa Wild, which is Minnesota Wild's uh, farm team. And uh, the other notable name that 
kind of stuck out to me. It's it's not again the, uh, the one thing that kind of bothered me was that a lot of Flyers fans were actually expecting like a big splash. Not necessarily saying Artemi Panarin, but you know a, a bigger splash than all of these that moves. Uh, unfortunately, because of the Flyers cap space, they weren't able to you know um, sign any of these bigger names. And again, they kind of all did uh, all of their free agent signing or free agent moves earlier in the off season with, uh, of course the Kevin Hayes acquisition, the Justin Braun and Matt Neskin and acquisitions as well. But, uh, the other name was, uh, Gene Francois Berube, uh, to a one year, two week contract. He's a goalie. Uh, but you know, and the other point he did mention was that this is going to be a, a very different Lehigh Valley Phantoms team. I think it's going to be a much stronger team than last year. And uh, the one big factor in which I'm excited about for O'Reilly for on the Phantoms, that is, is simply because he will be a great, great player for some of the young, uh, younger players who are on the bubble of making the Flyers, such as Morgan Frost, Joel Farabee, um, German Rubisov, possibly Mikhail Vorobiev, or any of his players, or just whoever he would play on the line with. Uh, to get their scoring ability up. Yeah, I I see O'Reilly as the, as the perfect fill in for Colin McDonald, who's probably not coming back at this point. And I think I think he takes the place of of a guy like that very well. He can be that veteran leader for for that team. I was I was thrilled to see that Greg Carey got a contract as well because he's a fan favorite in Allentown. People love him up there, and I think that that's something that's significant as well. Otherwise, yeah, it wasn't really anything significant, but. You know, I I wrote about this on Tuesday, kind of putting a wrap on free agency a little bit because it is really very much a one day type of thing. The fly, you know, every team, and and this goes for anybody out there. The New York Rangers are making a bet on Artemi Panarin. How, how so? You know, the Rangers are making a bet on Panarin with the amount of money they're spending on him per year in the hopes that he performs the way that he has for his entire career, that he doesn't get hurt. You make you make a bet on that player. And some of them are more, you know, they're all calculated risks in one way or another. And in a case like the Rangers giving a contract to Panarin, you know what kind of player you're getting. So yes, you, it's, it's a bigger bet, but it's, you know, in terms of money, but it's less of a risk, I would say. Now, that being said, you know, every, if every player is a bet, then the Flyers place theirs in June, not July. That's the real difference here. It's not like they didn't go out and make additions. Their additions were the trade and signing of Kevin Hayes, who would have been one of the big names in free agency on Monday and wasn't there because the Flyers took took care of that business much earlier than July 1st. They traded for Matt Niskanen and Justin Braun. They traded for Tyler Pitlick. They brought back Brian Elliott. And that's what Chuck Fletcher thinks will be an upgrade next season, and that is the part that remains to be seen. That's the, the bet, the gamble. It's putting out there that Kevin Hayes is going to make a difference on this second line. Matt Niskanen and Justin Braun give you more veteran presence on the blue line, help you prevent more goals. That comes into play. Brian Elliott's the perfect backup for Carter Hart. That's your gamble there. And Brian Elliott's not going to get hurt like he has in the past few years because it is a different role maybe. Pitlick's going to fit right in on the fourth line. Those are the gambles that you have to take as a general manager when you make trades and, and sign contracts. And I think it's ironic that just a, that every name that we mentioned, aside from Brian Elliott, was acquired via a trade. Even Kevin Hayes, who technically goes down as kind of a trade slash signing. The challenge to me for, for this team coming up is that in September and October, they have to very quickly establish some sort of identity because, you know, here's what I'll say. And then I'll pitch it back to you, Jeff, to kind of 
fill in here and um, give your thoughts on kind of the offseason as a whole or as much as we have so far. Um, th- that's the challenge to me is that they have to be a good team at the start of the year. They have to perform effective immediately. And I'll be honest, I don't know if the Flyers are a better team than they were last season. In, 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 and I say that in a sense. There's really no sense in trying to guess if they are right now. Trying to compare them to any other team in the league, any team from years past on paper, because it's all paper. Yeah, I remember looking at the team last season, seeing a forward line combination that included Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and Travis Konechny. Another line that combined James Van Riemsdyke, Nolan Patrick, and Jake Voracek. Another line that combined Wayne Simmons, Oscar Lindblom, and Mikhail Vorobiev made a push and got in there on the third line for a little bit. Fourth line that had Scott Lawton and Michael Roffel, and a defensive group that had Shane Gossesbear, Ivan Provorov, Travis Sanheim, Radko Gudis, Robert Haig, and having a belief that Brian Elliott and Michael Neuverth were going to be able to stay healthy, and looking at that roster on paper in, say, August or September, and thinking, this could this should be a playoff team. I'm not going to do that this season. you know. And there's players that are returning, primarily the younger ones. You know, They need to be the ones that make you believe that this team is better. And I'll believe that when I see it, but I think the potential is there for them to be better. And I think it's also very unfair to start to look ahead, look at the team on paper, try to judge whether it's a playoff team or not, or has a chance to win a series or not, when you can't even come close to comparing this season on the same parameters as last season. Because last season is a team that was constructed by Ron Hextall, coached by Dave Hextall for half a season. And when Chuck Fletcher took over, his job at that time was not to save last season. It was to start getting ready for this season. So this is this is not a team coming up this year that's going to be coached by by Dave Hextall. It's going to be a, it's a team that's going to be coached by Elaine Vigneault. And so let's just see what happens on, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say this team is for sure and certain a playoff team. And I'm not going to sit here and say they're not a playoff team. If they go through the bottom line is if they come out and they go through October and struggle out of the gate and by Thanksgiving, you're playing catch up just like you did for the last five seasons. Then we can talk about how this off season was or wasn't good enough because we'll have an idea. But paper is paper on paper. You don't have to be impressed with what, with what the Flyers did this offseason. You do not have to be impressed by what Chuck Fletcher did. I'm not overly impressed. You know, there's, for a lot of reasons, I'm not overly impressed because there are a lot of it that are the same parts. You know, I I see Claude Giroux, I see Jake Voracek, I I see guys like that, and you go, okay, it's those guys again. They have to be the ones who turn it around. I look at the move for Kevin Hayes, and I think that's an upgrade. I look at the moves for Niskanen and Braun, and I think, well, you're taking a gamble that you're hoping they bounce back. And if they do, it's going to look great. And if they don't, it's not going to look so good, but let's at least see how this turns out for everybody involved, for the kids on the team, for the veterans on the team with a different coach, a team that's going to have way more stability and goal with Carter Hart and hopefully a healthy Brian Elliott in a backup one B role and more veterans on, on defense that could prove to be the difference. That's where I am with this. And Looking at trying to look at this from a perspective where you don't announce that a team is winning something out of free agency because you still have to play the games. If this team isn't a playoff team and everybody is so certain of it, then why do we play 82 games? That's all I'm going to say about that. But I'm not going to sit here and try to. I'm also not going to sit here and try to glaze everything over and act like what they did was more impressive than what other teams did. You got to play the games. We've got to see what this is like from 
everything top down. They changed coaches. They've changed general managers in the last year, and he has put together this team with clearly a veteran presence method in mind, putting veterans on this team to guide the young players, putting a coach in place who wants to guide players to success. If those things happen and they get the goaltending as well, which I I definitely have a point about Carter Hart that I want to make when it comes to the rest of the division coming up. Um, But you put all those pieces together, and I think you have a team that should be better, but I don't want to... I don't want to go out there and proclaim that necessarily because there's a lot of reasons that we could sit here and say things like that and then have it all come back and be blown up in your face because they come out and they have another slow start and look like they're not prepared. So it, it, it's now on the players at this point who have been brought here to be a different team when the season starts in October. And if they can do that, I think you get everybody kind of interested again. I think I don't think anybody is more interested than they were a year ago based on what they did in the off season. But I do think that the, the recipe for success or to bring people in is winning is to have success. So if they go out and they prove that they can be that team, you'll have people buying in again. But I, I think it was just too, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with what they did. It's a solid off season, but there wasn't really aside from Hayes. And even then that wasn't viewed as a crazy substantial move because I think everybody got, fascinated with the idea that a Panarin was available, something like that. So I think that that's the thing that people get lost in. So Jeff, your thoughts on kind of where this team is now following the last, let's, let's say probably the last month and a half as they've made some re-signings as they've brought in these new players and now they kind of can set focus on the, on, on going into next season kind of because the rest of the summer is probably about signing Ivan Provorov, signing Travis Konechny, signing Scott Lawton, and going into training camp to figure out the rest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My biggest takeaway is that the farm system in the AHL, that instantly got better. It's a much different look um, because uh, look at how many injuries the Flyers had last year. You had guys like Tyrell Goldburn filling in. I, I think you had Mikhail Vorobia for a little bit. I don't I don't believe so, but possibly Nicholas Abe Kubel, which I don't have a problem with with uh, Nack. I think he's a good player and he has a potential opportunity to make the team. But you had all these uh, younger guys in the AHL that weren't necessarily, um, you know, difference makers. Because I remember at one point uh, the Flyers called up Tyrell Goldburn trying to make a difference, uh, you know, a few different times throughout the season. And at that point, it, it's the kind of the main question is, was simply just why th- th- this doesn't make sense. Goldburn, you know, he's an energy type player, but he's not going to make that big of a difference to change a team. Some of those players are out. I know Goldburn, uh, he signed somewhere. I, I believe Cole Bardrow might have signed somewhere as well. Uh, the other players that are out in general, Racco Gudis, Andrew McDonald, Cam Talbot, uh, the players, of course, that brought in Matt Niskanen, Justin Braun, Kevin Hayes. Um, I think the defensive aspect, all in all, over this offseason so far, I I'm pretty thrilled with it. And the fact that Fletcher kind of went, uh, you know, backtracked a little bit and thought, okay, I gave up a second and a third for Justin Braun. He then got that second round pick back in the draft by trading back a couple picks. Of course, he used that second round pick to grab Bobby Brink, good pick there. And you don't have to worry about, you know, McDonald in your 
defensive core anymore. Uh, Rako Gudis, I think he played some of his best hockey in his entire career last year in Philadelphia. Some can certainly argue that, but that's just my opinion. But the defensive core this year, it's exciting. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's exciting. And yet at the same time, it's getting a little full. And that's what the only thing that worries me a bit is because uh, there's going to be players, you know, fighting for spots, which is fine. But right now, the, unless the Flyers bearing, you know, being uh, a trade, they have eight defensemen unless they decide to either scratch two of them or keep one healthy, scratch the other in the minors. Because right now you have Ivan Provorov, Travis Stanheim, Matt Niskanen, Shane Gossespierre, Justin Braun, Robert Haig. Uh, you have Sam Marin and also Phil Myers. All eight defensemen there. They're going to make a difference. It's going to be, a, a, it's, at least in my opinion, it should be a, a better difference than last year's defensive core. Uh, but, you know, the one thing that you did bring up, though, Kevin, is you can't, and I, I definitely agree with this, is you can't necessarily judge this team too early and you can't try to predict where they're going to be. I know I did that last year and I was completely off. <laughs> but, um, you know, you kind of got to see how it pans out. All I will say about this team, though, is you have a better defensive core. I don't know how much better it is, but I, I, on paper, I like this defensive core a little bit better than last year's paper. Um, the team on paper for the defense, you got more experienced guys, more experienced veterans. And, you know, more right-handed shots on the blue line, which is always needed for the Flyers. And then for the young forwards, you have Nolan Patrick. He's going to be on the third line. And that's probably the best thing that could happen to Patrick right now because he is a, 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 a strong second-line center in Kevin Hayes in front of him. He can learn more from Hayes. And also, uh, teams are going to be focusing so much on Hayes, I feel like, this year that... It's not like they're, they're going to forget about Nolan Patrick. It's just Hayes, I think, is going to make a big enough difference where it's going to distract teams just enough where Patrick can kind of do his own thing and dominate the ice. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I kept coming back to about this, too, is, you know, there's the Flyers could have gone out and gotten another impact forward or, you know, found a way to make a, a deal with an impact forward, whether it was through trade or through free agency. And the probable cost of doing something like that, if you would have had them sign somebody yesterday or, or sign, you know, sign somebody on Monday or sign, uh, sign somebody earlier in the year, trade for somebody, whatever it may be. If you would have had, um, you know, if you would have done that, the cost is probably going to be Shane Goss's bear. I, I'd, I'd like to see Shane Goss's bear play, in on this on this particular team for two reasons. The first is I want to I want to truly see if the coaching makes a difference with him because I don't know that I ever got to see anything close to what you know, I look at last season and all the problems that there were with last season and I do think that some of that came down to Dave Haxtall and a little bit Scott Gordon too in the sense that you know, Scott Gordon was probably in there as damage control at that point to try to do something with the rest of the season as a coach. Um, and and I don't think there was ever a fit in Dave Haxall's system with Shane Gossiper and the freedom he needs to have to be able to play his way. He, you know, for whatever reason, he had that confidence and played that way in year one and year three and didn't in year two and year four. Those years are a thing of the past, and the coach who was 
in charge under, during those years is a thing of the past. So I'd like to see him in a Lane Vigneault system for one. Two, I'd like to see him as the third pairing guy that people think he's going to be because you you assume that Provorov and Sanheim are going to be left side pairing one and pairing two, and Niskanen and Braun slot in as your two guys on the t- top four as well on the right side as right-handed shots. So Gostas Bear possibly moves to the third pairing. What that does is you can essentially start to maybe limit some of his even strength ice time and use him almost as a power play specialist meets um, meets third line regular in a sense, third pairing regular. He gets the third pairing minutes, gets a boost in minutes when he go, when they play on the power play. Maybe he's a little bit fresher for the power play. It changes his dynamic a little bit. It makes him more of an impact player on the power play than when he has to play every role that he, that he was in, in the top four the year before. So maybe you get the best of him as opposed to trying to rely on him to be this 17 to 20 minute guy who is not, you know, who you may even have had to throw in on a penalty kill every now and then a year ago because you were just out of options and you, it lets him be used more naturally. And I think that that's very important to use him in, in the right way and to give him another shot with this particular team to see if he plays better with, with the different players that are coming in to see if he plays better under Elaine Vigneault. And after that, maybe you can judge that he's just not working out the way that you think he was. But for right now, you've got him on a very cat-friendly contract at his age, at his experience, at his potential, which is very clearly 60 points in a season. He has the potential to do it. It's just a matter of him finding that consistency. So I like that he's still around. And I like the fact that at the end of the day, what Chuck Fletcher kind of came out and said was they weren't going to make a deal that boxed somebody in. And I don't think they, uh, you know, I don't think they really have, quite frankly. I look at even the Kevin Hayes deal, which is seven years. I don't see that blocking anybody in particular. I, I, it's giving them more stability now. So Nolan Patrick can be in the third line and kind of grow on his own terms a little bit here and, and not be pressured to be the second line, do it all you know, and be a key contributor offensively too. You get to comfortably sit him in the third line. Hayes is in the second line. And when Nolan Patrick's ready to take the jump, you can either flip-flop them and move Hayes down to the third line. Or Hayes can also possibly slot over into a wing spot as other guys start to either filter out or however you want to do this, you know. However you see fit, you can move these guys around a little bit and it might work out in your favor big time. So I, I even look at that and I, I see a short-term implication with Hayes. The other guys, Niskanen's got two years left on his contract. Braun's got one. Pitlick was a one-year deal. None of these guys are blocking anybody from being part of this team. And not only that, but you didn't go out and you didn't spend foolishly and give, you know, I, I try to look at some of the guys that maybe we had talked about last week as free agency was about to start. And I think of guys like Brent Connolly and, um, you know, guys like that and, and Jonas Donskoy getting four-year deals. The money was not really the issue in those deals. I think they made perfectly adequate money for what their role is going to be with their new teams. But I don't, I, I almost wonder if you're looking, you know, because I look at the three in point, they, I think they each made three and a half million roughly per per year. I think I think Don's was, was a little higher at 3.9. Um, but bottom line being, those guys were in that price range. And I don't think the Flyers could even afford to go above three, let alone 3.5. And beside the point, 
I don't think they wanted to go anywhere close to four years because it's essentially trying to tie a guy into your bottom six for the next four years. Ron Hextall made a deal like that with Dale Weiss, and it ended up not working out in the slightest. So I think you want to make sure that your options are open, and maybe what you do for the rest of the offseason here is you keep your eyes peeled on a couple of these players who are not signed yet, who may need time to sign with somebody who may not be the hottest ticket. And you see if later on down the road, if they're really desperate for an opportunity, then you sign a guy like that to, you know, a a player who's out there maybe looking for a job to a one year low cost deal. And maybe it comes after you've taken care of Provorov and Konechny and all of those guys. And if you do that, you finally get yourself in a position where that guy is in the competition just like everybody else and not tying down the situation. Ultimately, I still see the the vacant third third line winger spot that's still kind of out there. Ultimately, I see that being something that favors guys like Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee, guys who are going to come into this competition. I almost wonder a little bit, and I, I wrote about this as well. I wonder if Chuck Fletcher was watching at development camp and got the sense from watching Morgan Frost right now or Joel Farabee right now or somebody out there. Maybe it's Rubsov. Maybe it's Ratcliffe. Maybe it's somebody like that. That there's enough guys who are going to compete for this that one of them's going to prove he's ready. And and maybe Chuck Fletcher in his head is sitting there on Saturday afternoon when the five-on-five scrimmage is happening or Friday when they did the three-on-three tournament and going, I don't need to do anything on Monday about the current roster. I'm going to get a player from in-house who's a kid who's motivated to go play and be a part of the NHL right now, and someone's going to show me something in September, and and I'm putting my trust in that. I almost wonder if that's what, where his mindset was. So maybe after that, I look at all the other things that could have happened in free agency and all the other things that did happen throughout the rest of the league, and maybe if you're Chuck Fletcher, you go, I don't care. I took care of my additions already. I've got kids who are ready to come up at some point here. I'm not going to do anything drastic. And I'm going to let everything play out. I, I think it was a kind of a smart strategy to not get tied down again, because the only thing that they did this entire offseason that really ties them down is is the Kevin Hayes contract. That's it. Other than that, I think he had a smart strategy of of finding legitimate potential upgrades at these positions on short term contracts. That even if they are paying a lot, you know, Niskanen is no cheap contract by any stretch, but it is only a two year deal. And bronze isn't cheap either, but it's a one-year deal. And if it sets your if it sets yourself up for next offseason to be a player again, I think I'd rather see you potentially come back as a player next year than worry about what you didn't do this offseason. Everybody wanted to see some sort of change. You got your change. You're going to see two new defensemen. You're going to see a new forward. Probably actually more than that. You're going because you're going to see two new forwards with Hayes and Pitlick, plus probably a third. If someone slots in on that third line who wasn't playing for the Flyers last year, and that could very well be somebody like Morgan Frost, and you're going to see Carter Hart for a full year. I I think that there is a way for this team to be successful. It's just a matter of them actually going out and executing under a new system. Yeah, 100%. I I couldn't agree more because uh, we'll start kind of uh, on the topic we're just talking about here with all the, you know, the, the, what the forwards could look like and everything. Obviously, Kevin Hayes is going to be on the second line, and I think that's going to benefit uh, Nolan Patrick on the third line, who most likely will be paired with Lynn Blom. And right uh, a couple of days ago, I think I saw somewhere on social media that 
Chuck Fletcher was pretty excited about Joel Farabee and Morgan Frost. And like you said, there there is a good chance that one, if not even both players, could make the team. Um, now, I don't know if you would put Frost on the third line and Farabee on the fourth line or vice versa or uh, just one of them makes the team. Either way, Fletcher clearly has some sort of plan in mind. He got his guys early in the offseason. Uh, before the Stanley Cup Finals was even over, he got, you know, Braun and he got Hayes. And the final pieces of the puzzle was, of course, free agency. But that was more so the um, that was more so depth depth moves. Excuse me for um, the Phantoms, and you know that's totally fine. They're going to be a better team uh, for Tyler Pitlick. Now, I I personally don't know where he could be. It's either going to be the fourth line or just a healthy for a healthy scratch. That's just my opinion. I don't know much about him, but right away though, I think the fact that you have Scott Lund, who scored a career high in goals, assists, and points all last year, he's centering your fourth line. That's a great depth, um, you know, fourth line already with him, Michael Raffle, and then you could have Tyler Pitlick or one of the younger guys. But regardless, though, Ryan Hartman, he's gone. So the moment that happened, and along with Justin Bailey, that opens up one two spots even with the addition of kevin hayes so right now the lines could look something like this drew katoria and connecting on that top line as it should be as it's proven to be well performing uh jvr kevin hayes jake borchuk on the second line oscar Lindblom, nolan patrick on the third line with you know maybe morgan frost or joel farabee um fourth line raffle law in and the other winger spot is kind of up to the younger players. Kind of like you said, uh, they're hungry. They they want to prove that they can be in the NHL sooner rather than later. There was certainly the idea by both Morgan Frost and Joel Faraby that they want to start their Flyers careers sooner rather than later. Of course, they're both very, very young. Um, Morgan Frost, it, uh, during his draft year, I think he was like uh, somewhere around 170, something like that, 175. He, he's bulked up to 185, and his goal is to get to 190. So the fact that he said he needs to you know bulk up more and everything and get stronger, he's proven that. He's shown that. You can tell on, his, on the ice his skills are still there. They're phenomenal. And... I, I certainly think that Morgan Frost will make a huge, huge stride to either making the team or just missing the team this year just because there's, for some reason, another player that they like over Frost just for now, or they might not think he's ready yet, which is totally fine too. The kid is 20 years old. This is going to be his first year in the pros regardless, whether it's in the NHL or the AHL. For Farabee, he is, I think, 19. However, the fact that he signed his contract, uh, and I know the difference, there's a difference between the NCAA and in uh, juniors. If you sign your contract, even when you're uh, 19, you can go in the NHL or AHL. Uh, you don't have to go back to juniors. Uh, so, and the same thing with NCAA. Once you sign that contract, you know, you're, you're gone. You, so you're in the pros. But, 
I really like those two. I think they can make a big difference. Uh, and then kind of going to now to the defensive side, Shane Gossespierre, and again, just more of the offseason moves. I'm glad that Chuck Fletcher stayed put on all the Gossespierre rumors. There's so many rumors of him going to Montreal for Andrew Shaw and somebody else and all these ridiculous trade rumors. It's not, you know, it's not worth it because the type of contract that Gossespierre is on it's unbelievable what type of contract he got. And it's amazing, kind of a steal, really, the fact that Shane Gossespierre is on this type of contract. Uh, the one thing that I am glad, though, is, like you said, Kevin, this will certainly be, well, at least to me, this will be a refreshing start for Gossespierre because no more Dave Haxel, who I think kind of, had a string it was pulling a string a bit on on the back of his jersey pulling him back a bit because you could tell the last year year and a half or so he hasn't looked like his normal high-flying self now two years ago he was all over the place he put up uh 17 goals his, his 17 and program 13 that was a combined a combined 30 out of the 55 goals that defenseman scored just two years ago that's the type of defenseman that the Flyers need from both Ivan Provorov and Shane Gossespierre. But the fact that I think Rick Wilson's now gone, nothing against him. But obviously, he did not see eye to eye with Gossespierre. Uh, an article written uh, back in May by Jordan Hall of NBC Sports Philadelphia. Here was a section of, um, of on Gossespierre from Elliot Freeman's uh, 31 Thoughts that Hall included in his article. Uh, Wilson did not mention Shane Gossespierre, so I brought him up. He was careful. I would just say that I'm a little disappointed. I couldn't help him bring more of his best on a consistent basis. He's very talented, and it is in there. Now, for Gossespierre, um, he kind of had some comments on it. So he said, with Rick coming in and different coaches and whatnot, that they tweaked the style. Not just me personally, but how he wants the defense to play. I wouldn't say they put handcuffs on me or anything, but they pulled the reins back quite a bit just in what they wanted us to do collectively as a decor. Now, right there, that kind of that kind of scares me a bit, the fact that Gossip Spare says they're basically pulling the reins back on us, not just me as a whole, but the or not just me, but the defensive core as a whole. So I think as good as an effective uh assistant coach as Rick Wilson was, it's kind of nice to see a new face for the defensive side for Philadelphia uh, coming up. Yeah. And I, I think I'll throw in there this too, you know, Travis Sanheim really blossomed under Rick Wilson. And at the same time, if you give every single defenseman that you really have put pinned a lot of hopes to, especially from an offensive standpoint, Provorov, Sanheim, Gostaspare, all three of them probably get a more reliable defensive partner this year in, in, you know, at least you hope so. You hope that if Provorov plays next to, let's say, Niskanen, that he gets a more reliable partner in that. In that, And Sanheim plays next to Braun, he gets a more reliable partner. And Gostisbehere plays next to Phil Myers, he gets a more reliable partner. And throughout that, if that allows them to have the freedom to not pull on the reins with them when they want to carry the puck through the neutral zone and try to create an entry, or jump up in the play a little more often and be that offensive presence. That's really part of the specialty of their game, especially Goss Bears. You need a guy who is able to do that and, and feel free to jump up there because that's when he's at his best. You know, I was actually just because I guess maybe because I was bored on one of the days leading, leading up to free agency. 
but I was watching a few of the highlights from some of the games from last year. And every time Gostas Bear scored a goal, it seemed like he was coming up as a trailer on a play or something like that. You know, he didn't obviously he didn't score a lot of goals last year, but I, I don't recall seeing a lot of goals in the first place that were the traditional power play goal from the point. A lot of it was jumping up in the rush, taking a pass from somebody as a trailer and being able to unleash a shot that was kind of unexpected. He had one in overtime last year that was in a way similar because it was a kind of a miniature two on one. It was, you know, he, he was on transition plays a lot to score goals. That's kind of his, his thing is to be able to use his mobility to his advantage. And if you don't let him do that, I think he becomes a very ineffective player because you need him to be moving his feet constantly to be on the go as constantly as possible. Even from a defensive standpoint, I think he plays better defensively when he's able, when he's kind of when he's back checking more than when he's caught standing still and you, he can't adjust quick enough. That proves to be worse sometimes. So I'd like to see all three pairings get a little bit of that freedom where they get to move up and jump into the play a little bit more often. I, I think that could go a long way in the Flyers offensive success, especially if they want to get back to where they were, you know, a, a few years ago when they had a lot of contributing defensemen. I, th- I think you can still have that. I think that, I think that not only will, would Gostisbehere be in, would be due for a bounce back season. Provorov's due for one. Sanheim showed a lot of promise that you hope continues. I think Myers could certainly have a little bit more of an offensive presence as well than what he was able to show in, in the brief time he was up at the NHL last year. And, you know, I, I don't think it's beyond Niskanen and Braun to put up some numbers, not anything drastic, but some, you know, modest numbers. I think there's potential for kind of all of them in a sense. Now, I do want to start to shift gears over to um, kind of we've talked a lot about the state of the Flyers and the guys they've brought back and the guys that they've brought in and kind of how that set themselves up for the upcoming season. The fact that they made their decisions long before free agency started on Monday. So what about what everybody else was doing? And it was certainly a busy Monday for a lot of other teams. And that was what, that was what kind of made it frustrating for a lot of people was that the flyers were out there building out their AHL roster while other teams were making their big additions. And in some cases, just from my vantage point, and I'll get yours in a second, Jeff, my vantage point was that a lot of the players that signed on Monday, at least the big players kind of had their minds made up way before we got to Monday and had their minds made up so much to a point where I think that what the deals that they got were not really accurate for what they would have gotten anywhere else on the market. I look at I look at Artemi Panarin's deal and I think Panarin made a lot of money. There was no doubting that was going to happen. But I look at it and I go, if he took a pay cut to play with the Rangers, then he wanted to play with the Rangers. There really was no negotiating about it. He wanted to play with the New York Rangers. Simple as that. Same thing, you know, Matt Duchesne. I, I saw a lot of comparisons with of Matt Duchesne's contract to Kevin Hayes' contract because it was so close in average annual value. We had sat here a week ago thinking Duchesne was going to end up getting upwards of nine maybe $10 million a year because he was certainly kind of in a little bit of what felt like a higher class than Kevin Hayes was from a point production standpoint, for sure. And Duchesne gets a deal that's an average annual value of $8 million. And you get people out there going, Whoa, wait a minute. What, what happened here? How come he only made a, he made less than a million dollars more than Kevin Hayes. And that's what the flyers paid for him. There's circumstances to everything. 
Duchesne loves the idea of playing in Nashville, has always loved the idea, has wanted to for a long time. He's building a house there currently, and there's no state income tax. So any deal, the $8 million deal in Nashville was a $9.5 million deal anywhere else if you really wanted him to play for you that bad. And I don't even know if there was any changing his mind. You know, guys, things like that. Um, to see other guys, I don't think there was really a surprise that Sergey Bobrovsky ended up in Florida. That was kind of the goal all all the way through was that Florida was going to go out and try to make a big splash and do so with one of these players from Columbus, preferably Panarin or Bobrovsky, and they ended up with Bobrovsky. Um, Wayne Simmons to New Jersey is an interesting one. Didn't expect him to get the, the money he did out of that contract. It's definitely a show-me contract, and I have no doubts he'll be motivated. Um, to see two really big veterans who spent a lot of time on the West Coast end up in Dallas, Joe Pavelski and, and Corey Perry, getting deals in Dallas. It's going to be interesting to see them wearing somebody else's uniform next year, but certainly um, something that's going to be different. Uh, I, I found interesting that for a long time, it seemed like Panarin was going to go to the Islanders and that was a very much a last, last day kind of switch leading up to the start of free agency. And that the Islanders at that point then had to scramble back to re-sign Anders Lee to keep him with the team. They added uh, Semyon Varlamov as well, and Robin Lehner goes to Chicago. So kind of bouncing around effect there. Um, and then Peter Morozik also stayed with Carolina. There were a bunch of others too. I could we could go through all of them if we really if we wanted to, but we probably don't have the time to go through everybody's signing. Those were just some of the significant ones. Uh, before I go into kind of the the scope of the metropolitan division and something I, I certainly want, there's something I wanted to point out that I noticed, but also um, you know, just, just those free agent deals and your thoughts on some of those or any others that stood out to you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the biggest things is that Columbus lost a good amount of players. They lost Matthew Shane. They lost Sergei Bobrovsky, Artemi Panarin, I believe, they lost, uh, or they're at least going to lose um, Ryan Dezingle. There's a lot of key pieces that they've had, but also gained at the trade deadline that they lost. Uh, but the one big thing for them is they got Gustav Nyquist, and I thought that was a pretty big addition for them there. So I don't count their free agency as a total loss uh, because they did lose out on quite a bit. Um and then Jonas Donskoy, one of uh, my favorite free agents right there. He went to Colorado on a four-year deal, 15.6 mil with a 3.9 mil cap hit. Uh, I thought that was a, a good move there. But all in all, uh, you know, there's there's some real, real big contracts, some surprising, some not. Uh, I think it was more so the the length in terms. And then there there is one that I was... I was a little surprised by uh, contract-wise. The player, not so much. In uh, Brandon Tanev to the Pittsburgh Penguins, six years, 21 mil, 3.5 mil cap hit. I'm okay with the player in Brandon Tanev. I think he's a, you know, a, a good, solid bottom six player. It's just I think Jim Rutherford unfortunately paid a little too much and honestly overpaid to get Tanov because um, I, I wasn't expecting him to get nearly that much money. Yeah, there was there was a lot of activity in general, and I, you know, I, I was surprised at a lot of the term for a lot of players. I wanted to run down kind of the scope of the Metropolitan Division because I'll, I'll echo what you said about Columbus for a second first. 
I do like the Nyquist signing for them. I really do. At the same time, this team is not going to be the same as it was a year ago. They made their all-in move basically by getting Duchesne, then getting Dezingle, then putting it all together. And uh, Well, actually, I shouldn't say by it, just getting those two, but by also keeping Panarin and keeping Bobrovsky in, 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 a he- in advance of an offseason where they had to know that this was probably coming. And now they've lost Panarin, they've lost Duchesne, they've lost Bobrovsky, they're probably going to lose to Zingle. And without those guys, you know, they're not a terrible team up, for, up front. Nyquist certainly gives them a good piece. Dubois is a good player. Atkinson's a good player. Anderson's a good player. They got, they've got good players. But Panarin was a big difference maker for that team. He made everybody on that team better. I think Duchesne was starting to do a little bit of the same. And I think now they're going to really have to heavily rely on Dubois and on Atkinson. And I just don't know if they're going to get, you know, I don't know that they're going to get the all-star numbers out of Atkinson like they did before. And I don't know if they're going to get, you know, Dubois is going to grow and continue to be a better player, but does he have the support system around him where they don't become an easy team to eliminate? Because if you can take out their first line, maybe they become an easier team to beat. Who knows? Um, But I certainly, and, and not only that, but I think, you know, they've got to resign Zach Wierenski, who's a restricted free agent. They've got Seth Jones, and I think those are good pieces to their, to their defense. But the goaltending hole is is noticeable now. I mean, it, nothing against Corpusallo in in Columbus, but you know, I think I think there's times where you can be a really good backup, and when the pressure starts to fall on you as the go to guy, you almost you know you wonder if he's got that in him. And I'm not going to sit here and say he doesn't for sure, but you're that's one of those gambles that we're talking about where you had Keith Kincaid within your system and a guy who had some good starting experience could have stuck with him instead they let him go as well and you're bringing in kind of a an unknown backup here to be a backup to Corpus Allo I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they're able to do what they have done for the last few years because they had the luxury of having a Vesna goaltender in, in Bobrovsky behind them they had a superstar player in Panarin and with all that going, I think Columbus takes a huge hit. Um, One of the other things I want to bring up out of the division that really doesn't affect anything crazy for next year, but it was interesting to see there was actually an offer sheet and Sebastian Ajo gets signed to an offer sheet by Montreal. Carolina matches it. Obviously Um, it wasn't that big of an offer that it was impossible to match. It was certainly not on Shea Weber to the flyers level. And, but Ajo is a great player, and of course you're going to match an offer like that. Outside of that, I didn't really see a whole lot from them. They they had to get a goaltender, basically, and they re-signed Mrazek. They traded for James Reimer, but I didn't see a whole lot of other activity beyond that. So it's relatively the same team hold for a decision by Justin Williams to either return to playing or re-sign with Carolina, which apparently he's leaning towards re-signing. Um, those things to me, you know, it's not that Carolina was Carolina was a really upstart team last year. And when the playoffs hit, they really bonded together and turned, turned in a couple good, you know, one really good or two really good series. I should say before it kind of all came crashing down against Boston. And I just wonder if they get the same kind of momentum next year as they move forward with this. And, you know, it, cause a lot of their success was predicated on goaltending when they had it or getting, good goal scoring from guys like Tara Vinen or even Jordan Stahl. Ajo was obviously the big contributor. It's just a matter of if they get all that. 
and can be that same team that really just rides a wave of momentum all the way through next season like they did this past season. Uh, the Islanders did a good job of circling back to get Anders Lee, but again, you know, and, and they got Varlamov as well. But again, you know, the idea that the Islanders were, what, maybe three hours away from becoming significantly better with a guy like Panarin and, and then didn't get him. Now they're kind of also rolling back a very similar team. Uh, and that's something that I kind of noticed. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that there's a big difference between the Islanders and Hurricanes to me. I think the Islanders are far more established of a playoff team at this point with the coaching staff they have, with all of the players collectively that they have. I think Carolina's got some guys who stepped up big time, notably goaltending, and that's that's something to kind of be mindful of. Um, and then, you know, Washington and Pittsburgh really didn't have major activity. Pittsburgh got Tanev. Uh, Washington ends up losing Connolly and gets... You know, and and goes back. They get Richard Panic, so that was a pretty good cost-effective deal. Kind of, you know, a deal that is trying to replace that player. Essentially, it's it's really only the Rangers and Devils that made the significant upgrades. The Devils go out and get. Well, the Devils made their bigger upgrades realistically before free agency as well, because they go out and they they end up with the first overall pick, so they get Jack Hughes. They end up making a trade for PK Subban. You know, those are the moves that get you moving forward a little bit better. And then, you know, they add on a guy like um, like Simmons who can certainly have an impact with that team. He's a good veteran to have, but I, I just wonder what, what version of Wayne Simmons you're going to get with, with the Devils. Are you going to get the guy who was an all-star player and, and bounces back and shows everybody that we were all wrong about him being kind of done at this point? Or is he the guy who ends up being done? You know, that's what we have to wait and see. The Rangers obviously were the big, kind of the big winners throughout the whole thing because not only do they get Panarin, but they they managed to work things over throughout the entire offseason that made them better. You know, they get they get a good spot in the lottery, so they get uh, Capo Caco, and they get that they complete the trade to get Jacob Truba, and and they find a way to do all of those things, and kind of give you something shiny and new at every point: a new forward, a new defenseman, an, another forward who was drafted, so he's going to be a homegrown player. I think that all applies and and works really well for them. Um, one of the things that I did that I kind of noticed that I found a little bit ironic as free agency went on, though, is that the fly the one thing that the Flyers had, because there's a lot of people who would look and go, the Rangers got Panarin, Flyers are down on them now, and the Devils got Subban and, you know, Hughes and with the Ran- you can do the same thing with the Rangers with Capo Caco. They got these players. So now that the Flyers fallen behind because they didn't make those kind of upgrades. And I found it funny because I looked, I, I started to go through and, and, and it was kind of when uh, there was idea an idea out there that Carolina was losing one of the goaltenders they had in kind of a tandem form from last season. The Islanders were about to lose one as well. Columbus had lost a goaltender and, and you're starting to wonder what the goaltending situation looks like for every team in the division. And there's really kind of in a weird way, it turned out that the Flyers were one of three teams that could kind of look at their goaltending situation and find it stable in some semblance of the previous season that the Capitals are always going to have Braden Holtby and the Penguins have Matt Murray and the Flyers have Carter Hart now. And Columbus has to turn to the guy who was the backup to Bobrovsky and Carolina has to, had to eventually scramble to re-sign Mrazek, but got James Reimer who had been a backup and the Islanders had to sign Varlamov to play alongside of Grice. But Laner was one of the best goalies in the league last year. And 
The Rangers have an aging Henrik Lundqvist who hasn't really looked like himself in the past two seasons. The Devils have Corey Schneider, who has gone through battles with injury throughout, and it led to other goalies getting a chance. You know, and and the Devils have like the Devils have a young goalie too. They've got Mackenzie Blackwood, who could certainly come in and become the starter at some point. But the bottom line being, a lot of these teams suffered from the back end, where the Flyers are going to get a full season out of Carter Hart and presumably get better in that category. When I look at the entire scope of these. Um, of these teams in the Eastern Conference, one of the things I think that sticks sticks out to me is that I don't think anything has shifted in the balance of power for the top three teams in each division, even if they weren't very active on day one of free agency. I don't, you know, I don't think Washington's out of the top three in the Metro. I don't think Pittsburgh's out of the top three in the Metro, and I don't think the Islanders are out of the top three in the Metro, at least for now. You've got five teams in the Metro who are certainly bubble teams at this point. The Rangers have improved enough that they could make some sort of noise. The Devils have improved enough that they can make a lot of noise. The Flyers have been kind of in between in the last few years. They make it, they don't. They make it, they don't. Uh, Carolina had a great run last year, but only made it as a wild card team. So bear in mind that from a regular season standpoint, they have to put it together the whole time. And Columbus now takes kind of a significant hit after being a wild card team because they don't have the goaltending now that they had last year. They don't have two of the forwards that were impact players from last year for, or parts of it. So it changes the outcome for them, possibly. I go to the Atlantic, same thing. Boston's still up there. Tampa Bay's still up there. Toronto's still up there. Florida made some significant improvements. And I kind of, from last year's standings, I keep the same three top teams and I keep the same three bottom teams. I keep Detroit, Buffalo, and Ottawa still at the bottom. I keep Boston, Tampa Bay, and, and Toronto at the top. I've kind of flip-flopped Montreal and Florida because I think Florida made enough improvements that they are now going to be a team to watch that could potentially take a wild card spot. And if they do only four teams from the Metro are probably finding their way in. And that could be similar. There's a chance Montreal could be better next year too, and find a way to make that difficult. So it's, it's really hard to see where you're going to get eight playoff teams from probably about 10 teams, you know, 10, 12 teams that could really, really be significantly better next year you know, anywhere from a little, you know, anywhere from modestly better to significantly better. So I think all of that uh, makes it a very interesting upcoming season. But I do think that I, I think there's a something to look at when you look at the rest of the division. And yes, you know, there's a lot of teams in the division that got better forwards out of, out of this at some point. You know, the, the Rangers got better up front. The Devils got maybe got a little bit better up front. The Penguins got probably a little bit better up front after the Kessel trade for Galchenyuk. The Capitals still have a lot of talent up front, not necessarily getting better up front, but they have a lot of talent there. The Islanders, you know, have talent up front. The Hurricanes have talent up front. Columbus kind of lost that, and that's where I saw them slip. Goaltending was was another area where I saw a lot of teams in, in the Metro possibly slip. Those are things that I find significant, and I, I, I think that that could play into the Flyers' favor a little bit. Jeff, your thoughts on kind of the outlook of the division and – and, and the conference in general as well, and, and anything else from around the league that kind of signifies any other teams making kind of big jumps as well. Yeah, and uh, I'm actually going to start in the Atlantic just because that's the most predictable division, in my opinion, in the Eastern Conference. Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto, it's those three teams. It has been for the past two years or so. It's going to be those three teams for the next few years as well. Um, Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, I think they might flip around a bit. I, I'm expecting a bit um, of a better effort. 
not necessarily effort. Uh, let me rephrase that. A uh, bit of a better outcome this year than the last few years for Detroit. Uh, Steve Eiserman is their GM again. I, I I truly do think that he can help turn their franchise around and kind of bring them to the point where I feel like they should be at. Uh, Buffalo, it, it, it's a tough situation. We'll see what happens. Uh, Florida and Montreal, they've both made significant changes. Uh, Florida, they get Quenville. They get Bobrovsky. Montreal, they draft Cole Caulfield, which is, I think is a big piece. Um, and, of course, there's some other pieces there in Montreal as well. But it's really the top three in Tampa Bay, Boston, Toronto. Those three are the powerhouse teams in the Atlantic, and that's going to stay put. Now, for the Metro, I-, I have always believed that this is honestly one of the toughest divisions to play in. Look how many great teams you have here. And, and literally, just look at the competition uh, for the playoff spots. Washington, 104 points. The Islanders, 103. Pittsburgh, 100. Carolina, 99. Columbus, 98. It took uh, all the teams at least 98 points or above just to make the playoffs. And the fact that the lowest uh, team in the Metro was Columbus at 98 points, if you look at uh, teams, you know, if you go, if you have a 98 uh, point season in the Pacific Division, you're in you're the third seed team if you're in the central you're right there in the mix very close to number two and three if you're there in the atlantic that's a bit of a different story because the other three teams were dominant but 98 points that's almost not good enough in the in the metropolitan division that's why i think if any team wants to try the playoffs in the metro they're gonna have to have a hundred 100 point uh season or higher 98 points that's barely just enough to be, uh, make you a, a, um, a playoff team for a, a wild card. Each team certainly added pieces. Each team, I think, lost pieces. Pittsburgh, they lost Phil Kessel, but they got Galchenyuk. They also got Pierre Oliver Joseph, who I think can be a pretty solid defenseman uh, years down the road. The Islanders, they were actually one of the few teams that I hadn't noticed do a whole lot. I was pretty surprised. Uh, of course, they, they do have now um, Varlamov, which I thought it was a very big piece for them considering the fact that Robert Leonard left. Uh, after Artemi Panarin announced that he was going to the Rangers, they had to kick tires back with Anders Lee because they knew they were missing out on Panarin. Um, there's a lot of you know pieces there. Matthew Barzell, he's going to be a full-on force for that team. Josh Bailey, Andrew Ladd is still there. Casey Sezikis, there's a lot of pieces there in the, uh, the Islanders organization that can certainly help them. Uh, you know, the coaching staff, that's all good as well. Carolina, they are young, a young team. They're trying to get younger as well. They have a good mix of veterans and Young forwards, I'm curious to see how uh, Andrei Sveshnikov will do in his second season. And I, I, you know, I'm extremely excited for the Hurricanes' future. I think they're they're right there in the mix as well, and they're becoming another team that can be a possible dangerous team if they uh, are able to kind of carry the same momentum they did last year. For the Rangers, they obviously added Capo Caco, Jacob Truba, Artemi Panarin now. Those are three pretty big pieces right there. It doesn't guarantee them 
a playoff spot. But I think it it, it does it, it won't guarantee you anybody any team anybody or sorry any team anything. It can show promise. It can show to a team, hey, this is what we have. But this is why we play the games. You have to play all eighty-two games to get to the playoffs. And look at Tampa Bay, sixty-two wins. They were swept in the first round. So you gotta make enough moves. You got to make you gotta make the right moves to get to the playoffs. Because once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. The Devils. They obviously have Jack Hughes now. Trade for P.K. Subban. That was huge. Wayne Simmons they added. That's a good piece there. A good depth forward they can have. Not only that, but now they have someone to potentially protect Jack Hughes if need be. Or, if they would like, throw Simmons on that top line with Jack Hughes. Or even on Nico Hishier's line to protect him as well. Obviously, we know what type of player Simmons in Simmons is. And you gotta respect it. You, uh, you gotta respect the type of player he is. And... I obviously just wish them all the best of luck. Now, for Philadelphia, they did add some significant pieces in Kevin Hayes. They bolstered up on their defense a little bit. I think it's it's enough to kind of push them up and over the edge just a little bit more. You need more production from some of the younger guys. I know they some of the young guys like Oscar Lindblom, he did very well. Travis Sanheim, he did good. He did really, really good. And that's why I'm kind of expecting even more from Sanheim this year. Uh, you have some veteran presence in the defenseman in Justin Braun and Matt Niskin, and those are big pieces to add for the younger guys in Philadelphia to help kind of mentor them, help coach them. Brian Elliott's still there behind uh, Carter Hart in net. That's They have a good relationship there. That's... It's not the greatest tandem, but hey, it, it's not bad. It, it's you know, it's a lot better than I was expecting it to be. Um, obviously, Hart is going to be a sensational goalie, and, and Elliot, who knows how long he's here for. But in the meantime, he can certainly take off the pressure of Carter Hart. He can teach him a, another trick or two here and there, take some games off of his uh, slate, and you know, we'll see what happens. But I really do think that the Metro is the toughest division out there because of how close it is. You really need 100-plus points just to make the playoffs, even uh, if you're just above a wild-card position. Yeah, and, and and that's why I wasn't going to go so far as to talk about the Flyers and say whether or not, you know, is it a playoff team, is it not a playoff team? I wasn't going to go that far because it's an incredibly competitive division. And how do you make the playoffs out of the Metropolitan Division? You win games against the teams within your division. And... If the Flyers are going to be successful, they're going to have to win games against, maybe they're going to have to win games against Columbus now that they maybe don't have a goaltender who you feel like can steal them one, you know, like Bobrovsky was capable of doing and seemed to do a lot against the Flyers. Maybe you are able to win games against Carolina, you know, for whatever, you know, for reasons, you know, for different reasons. Maybe Pittsburgh takes a little bit of a step back. It's too early to tell with all this stuff. You know, there's, you know, Things happen over the course of a season, and, and you're always one, you know, somebody's always one injury away from something significant happening. And, you know, sometimes I feel like some of the players, look, I think the Rangers got significantly better with a player like like Panarin. But sometimes I think we lose touch with the fact that Truba was one of the best defensemen that might have been on the move this offseason. 
but not, you know, I don't think you can classify Truba right now the same way you classify an Eric Carlson. And Eric Carlson never made it to market either. That would have been a totally different story. So I, I think you have to be mindful that upgrades are upgrades in a, in a big way by, um, by what they look like on paper and by what they look like when you consider what else was available. And you still, like, like I said from the beginning, you still have to play the games. And I'm curious to see how this team's style stacks up against the rest of the Metro specifically. And more than that, I think I'm, I think I'm glad that when you look at the schedule, they get to play New Jersey in the second game of the year. I think that's great. You know, and I think that it's a shame that they have to wait as long as they do sometimes to play teams, you know, that, that you that you'd like to see them get tested against sooner rather than later. You know, now at the same time, I look and they play New Jersey, they play New Jersey, the Islanders and, and Pittsburgh all within the first month. They have New Jersey again in the first month. They get Carolina in there uh, in November. They get Washington in November. Islanders again in there. Columbus is in November. So. Well, I'd love to see them get the Rangers a lot sooner than almost the end of December. You know, I like the idea that, that you're going to see them play a lot of the teams within the division. You're going to see them play Washington and Pittsburgh and the Islanders and the Devils and and Columbus and Carolina and get at least one game in against those teams. But it does make for a tough schedule to start with because I do think it's weird. The Metro is a very competitive division, but I think the West is competitive across all fronts, you know it's pretty significant when you're talking about teams like, you know, when you're talking about teams like Winnipeg losing as much as they did, you know, the trade of Truba, they lost Tyler Myers. They lose Kevin Hayes, you know, all of that. Uh, you, you talk about the, that type of stuff and you see other teams that, you know, in the West, I think Colorado took some steps forward. San Jose made a great deal uh, with restricted free agent Timo Meyer that I think helps them in the long run. There's a lot of things that teams are doing right. Chicago made a lot of upgrades, and that's your first game of the season. So you look at you know you look at where those teams were a year ago, and, and it makes that conference that much tougher. And with a lot of games against that conference, the beginning is going to be the most important thing. And you can afford to against the other conference. I think it's very important to note this. You can afford against the other conference to get caught in tight games that may require extra time. It's not a problem to get the points that way if you have to. It's it's just a matter of getting the points. And when it comes time to play these teams within your division, that's when you need to start really showing that you are above these teams. But you, it's going to take more than just the next couple of months to get there where you're waiting for it to start. Players are going to train over the next two months. They're going to start getting ready. And then they're going to go and go to training camp and they're going to have to learn the systems quickly. And they're going to have kind of a, a strange preseason because they're going to, they're going to complete the training camp preseason portion of a lot of this in a matter of two weeks and head off to Europe. So it's going to make for something strange. And when it all starts back up, we will certainly be here with you uh, to break it all down throughout the season. So that is going to do it for this episode of the Flyer Delphia podcast. We want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Flyer Delphia podcast. We are on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also remember to check us out on SoundCloud as part of the Sports Talk Philly podcast network. Remember, you can listen to us and shows on the rest of Philly sports through the podcast network. We are now off for the summer. We're going to take kind of a well-deserved break from all the writing, all of the stuff we've been talking about for the last three weeks. Uh, and we'll be back in September to start previewing the season at that point. So we'll come back right around the start of rookie camp leading into training camp. 
and be with you from there until the rest of the season. Uh, for any discussion that may come out of the re-signings over the summer uh, that the Flyers have, um, whether, you know, whenever Ivan Provorov signs or Travis Konechny signs, whatever the deals are, um, I will do uh, new episodes of the Daily Flyer. I put one of those out uh, in between the draft and the free agency podcasts we did over the last few weeks. Uh, I'll put those out to kind of just briefly discuss some stuff with that. Uh, but as a group, we will be back following the remainder of summer. Uh, so once again, thank you for tuning in. For Jeff Quake, I'm Kevin Durso, and this has been the Flyerdelphia Podcast on SportstalkPhilly.com and 97.3 ESPN. <laughs>